So this is a good place to start when we think about God's sovereignty in evangelism. First of all, well, there are three words that I really want to uh, capture here, and they're in your notes too. Foreknowledge, predestination, and calling. All right, first of all, God foreknows those he's chosen to give the gift of salvation to. God's foreknowledge. What is that? Well, the, the word for foreknowledge is used seven times in the scriptures. It is used to describe God's foreknowledge of his elect. All right, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, Peter says this. Peter, and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. All right, and <clears throat> there talks about God's foreknowledge, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. All right, so God's foreknowledge. Now, in Romans 8.29, there's a, you know, um, it, it talks about foreknowledge there as well. Another place where we find this word in, first, in Romans 8.29, it says, For those whom he, or God, foreknew, he also predestined, to become conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn of many brethren. So there it is again, the word foreknowledge, foreknew, God foreknew. All right, and there's a really interesting one in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, where Jeremiah has, is getting his call from God to be a prophet. And God says something really interesting to him. This is what he tells them. He says, before I formed you in the womb, okay? So before he was born, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. Means even before he was in the womb, God already knew his name, already planned for him to be born, what he was going to do, and now he's telling him what he's going to do. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Okay, so this is really important when we begin to think about um, foreknowledge. I mean, God planned all these things, then he birthed this person, and he's telling him what he's going to do. All before he was even born, he had this already foreknown and everything. It's really interesting. Now, one way to think about this is that the, uh, you can think about it this way. The idea that God merely knows what he will do. All right? If we think about it that way in evangelism, it's one way to think about it. We would not necessarily agree with this view because it's, it, um, this view of God's foreknowledge is not as biblically sound because although God knows about all these things, past, present, and future, it makes God's actions a reaction to what man chooses to do. It's like he knows how we're going to choose, okay? So he foreknows his foreknowledge. He knows what we're going to do. If we just only think of it that way, we're missing a big part of what 
foreknowledge on God's part means. Because he then would respond in salvation because of something we did. Does that make sense? We choose and then he acts. All right? But in, re, in a better way, biblically, to think about it is that it means that God knows what he will do, of course. That part is true. But God, who is all-knowing, simply chose, according to his own will, certain people whom he will show mercy to. This basically means that God knew what he would do, and his decision has nothing ultimately to do with anyone else's thoughts or opinions. Does that make sense? In other words, he's the one who's doing the doing, not man. And man is simply responding in a way that God has already said in his mind and heart that this is the way he's going to do it. So it puts the emphasis on what God is doing. It means that God knew what he would do, and his decision has nothing ultimately to do with anyone else's thoughts or opinions. So God does not only have foresight where he knew what he would do, but he also has foreknowledge of what he will do, whom he has sovereignly chosen to save, and when and how he's going to do it. All right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do. Why don't you hold that thought, Steve? I don't know if you all could hear that, but I think we're going to address more of that as we go along. That's starting to get more into predestination. And that, that's a challenging thought, Steve. I, I understand what you're saying. And these are some things we're going to wrestle with this morning. Um, these are not easy doctrines, and there are a lot of questions that we can have about these. But let's just hold that a minute, if you would. Um, I just want us to understand that any of us in here who are Christians today, we're not we're Christians not because of anything we've done, but we do we do respond to the gospel, of course. But it's not because of what we've done. It's we're Christians because God graciously chose us, He called us, and then He justified us by Jesus' blood, His sacrificial substitutionary death for our sins. And um, you know, there's just there's a it's a cha little bit challenging at times so let's let's think a minute about predestination that's the next word i want us to look at in romans 8:29 it says um and by the way probably most people in this room could quote romans 8:28 could somebody just shout it out romans 8:28 god causes all things to work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose, those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. Okay, what is the good thing that he's doing? There's a lot of good things he's doing in our lives, but the next verse, do you know what the next verse says? A lot of people don't put those two together. It says, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, there's that word, and what he predestined to is to become conformed to the image of his son. That is the good thing that he's doing most of all in our lives. But there's the word predestined, and it simply means to mark out beforehand. Now, the chosen ones are the elect, the ones that God, 
whom God knew intimately before the beginning of the world, they're marked out and they're in his perfect plan to come to know him in his perfect way and in his perfect timing. Now, this is a little tough for us humans to understand or to accept. The toughest part is the fact that God predestines some means that he predestines not everyone. All right? Um, though this idea is challenging to us, it's very clearly taught throughout Scripture. That's what chosen means. All right, so then the next word I want us to look at, and again, as, I'm, as I said, we're just flying through this. There is a ton we could be delving into here on any one of these words. They're very theologically deep. God sovereignly calls, okay? So he's chosen, he's predestined, and he calls. He calls sinners by opening their hearts through regeneration to believe the gospel. Romans 8.30, if you just take, go down to the next verse, it goes on to say, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. There's a divine calling here. It's the sovereign act of the Holy Spirit as he softens the heart of a sinner to respond to the good news of the gospel. Jesus put it this way in John 6, 44. He said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. You get that? It's kind of a sobering verse. And it, it's really puts the responsibility on the Father. And I will raise him up on the last day. So no one can come even to Jesus unless the Father draws him. That's what Jesus said. Okay, And then in Acts 16, 14, I'm not going to read the whole story, but go back to it if you're not familiar with it. In Acts 16, 14, and that whole section in there is a, historical account of the Apostle Paul beginning a ministry in the city of Philippi. He goes there. He's looking for anyone whom God would have opened their hearts so he can share the gospel with them. And he meets a, a lady, a businesswoman named Lydia. And she, it says there that God opens her heart. Okay, that's the part I wanted to really have us think about. And Paul then shares with her the gospel. And as he's sharing with her the gospel of Jesus Christ, God opens her heart and she becomes a believer. And then she leads her household and a whole ministry there in the city of Philippi opens up and a church is planted. But um, the key thing there is God opening her heart. I want us just to think about that a minute. So God's call. Now, implications. For evangelism in your notes there the next section what does this have to do with us or how do we begin to make some applications as we think of God's sovereignty you know what does God's sovereignty mean for evangelism as we think about beginning to think about okay now what does that have to do with me how do I apply that in everyday situation for me God's sovereignty certainly does not take away our responsibility to be active, intentional, and persistent in sharing the gospel. 
Instead, it should cause us to rest in God's power and ability to save. All right. Um, God's sovereignty teaches us to fully trust in his power to save sinners. You know, one of the things that we can kind of get hung up on in evangelism is we can become prideful about it. You know, what we've done while we've led so-and-so or so many to the Lord or this and that. But it's God who's the one that's doing the work. God is the Savior, not us. So it eliminates pride when we think about his power is the one is what is doing this by his spirit. And we can't produce results. So this also takes pressure off of us to see some results. We can't change anyone. We can't change anyone's heart. We can't draw someone to Jesus. All we can do is present the gospel. So the pressure is eliminated. It's not our responsibility to make somebody respond. And so when they don't, we don't have to feel bad about that. That we, fa- you know, we, If we've presented it clearly in the power of his Holy Spirit, then we leave the results to him. He is the one who works in their hearts and calls them to Jesus. And then um, also, God's sovereignty reminds us that we should have no fear in evangelism. All right, um, the fact that God has set apart certain people to believe removes the fear. I mean, we don't have to try and figure it all out. We just need to be responsible to do our part, let God do his part. We present the gospel. He does the work in their hearts. Um, but I will mention this idea of fear. Uh, if you, as we share our faith, oftentimes I do think we experience fear, but I think it comes primarily from the evil one. He does not want us to be speaking about Christ and the gospel to people. So um, oftentimes when I start sharing the gospel, my mind will all of a sudden be flooded with all kinds of thoughts. Oh, they're not going to listen. Oh, they're going to think you're foolish for talking about Christ right now. It doesn't fit the conversation. Um, they, they might get mad. Uh, you're maybe going to lose a friendship with that person. And all kinds of thoughts begin to flood my mind at times, and I become fearful. And I really think a lot of that comes from the evil one. He's just trying to discourage us from speaking. Because usually, virtually every time, I start in, I just overlook the thoughts, pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to just go ahead and empower me to start. I begin, and the thoughts go away. And this is what Acts 1.8 primarily talks about. It says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's what Jesus said to the disciples. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. So we need the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome our fears. But when we focus on God's power and um, the Holy Spirit and his sovereignty, we can overcome our our fears. I wanted to share one other thing, too. Um, through the years, working with Crew or Campus Crusade for Christ, we had lots of opportunity to hear the former president and founder of Campus Crusade, Dr. Bill Bright, who is, of anyone I've ever known personally, is was probably one of the 
greatest evangelist personally. He would share with everybody all the time the gospel. And he said invariably would have fear when he would begin a conversation. And I just learned from him, you know, we just need to experience God's power and move forward. So I just wanted to share that. It was just, he was such a great encouragement to me. Um, Somebody here's, this person had fear. If I did, it's okay. I just need to keep going. So if you feel fear, don't let it stop you from speaking. So the third point there, God's sovereignty should encourage faithful evangelism, not serve as an excuse to neglect it. Some people might object to the teaching of God's sovereignty. They would say, well, if God sovereignly has chosen all these people and he's already ordained for them, they're going to hear the gospel and respond. Why do I even need to share the gospel? Good question. But God has chosen for us to be involved in leading people to Christ. We become his vehicle. It's just a wonderful privilege and responsibility. He wouldn't have to have chosen to use us, but he did, and he does. And I don't know if that makes you feel special, but it does me. It's like, wow, we actually are entering into God's work of reaching people with the gospel. What a tremendous, um, uh, exciting, and uh, wonderful opportunity and privilege And then, you know, we don't know. The other part of this is we don't know who he has sovereignly chosen and predestined. Our responsibility is to share the gospel and power of the Holy Spirit and then leave the results to him. There are a couple people in our condominium association that I really have a heart for. I just pray for a lot. And I have shared the gospel in various ways with them. There's a a man in our association, a single guy, and I have talk to him about the gospel, and every time I get in that direction and start speaking to him about it, he just, uh, just like a wall goes up, and I don't see a softened heart there, but I'm praying for him, and I'm looking for opportunity with him, and I just, you know, God's got to work in his heart, but I'm, I'm trying, you know, along with God, I'm just trying to be sensitive to what the Spirit might be doing there. There's another person, a lady, who I was on the association board with, and she has a different heart. And I've been talking to her about the gospel. I don't think she's a believer yet, but I just think she's on her way. I see the Holy Spirit working in her heart. So I'm trying to be discerning as as I share the gospel. All right, so um, the last point here, um, God's sovereignty and then um, man's responsibility. So let's look a little bit, uh, a little bit more at our responsibility. As mentioned, God's sovereignty does not in any way get rid of our responsibility to be active, intentional, and persistent in sharing the gospel. So, so far we've looked at God's sovereignty in evangelism, the implications for evangelism in light of his sovereignty. Now let's consider our role a little more specifically in what we do in this um, in evangelism. What is our responsibility? What does it look like for us to be faithfully proclaiming the gospel? And the gospel teaches that there are three primary ways that we can be involved. One is prayer. So let's take a, a look at Colossians 4, 
verses 2 through 4. Now I just kind of want to camp there the rest of our time. But flip over to Colossians um, 4. It's a prayer, or really an encouragement to pray, that the Apostle Paul is giving to the church in Colossae. Chapter 4, starting at verse 2. He says there, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. All right, and with this, he is giving us... Um, some specific things to pray for in evangelism. First of all, continue steadfastly tells us that we should be praying or being watchful in prayer with an attitude of thanksgiving. And then we should pray for each other and ourselves that God may open to us a door for the word. All right. So here again, this is where we're looking for God to open doors so that we can declare the mystery of Christ, as he says, on account of which he was in prison. And then he says, that I may make it clear. All right, so continue steadfastly. Be busy about it. Um, attaching yourself to this task. It means that in regards to evangelism, we ought to be praying before we share, while we're sharing, and after we share the gospel. Prayer needs to just bathe the whole process. And then keeping alert in it, being watchful. As you pray, you watch. Live with an ex expectation that God loves the lost and he's opening doors for us to speak the gospel to those who need to hear of the Savior. So when we do this, we'll begin to see that God's at work all around us in ways that we might not be aware of or even notice unless he opens the door and shows us. I would like my friend Eric. Eric, if you would come up, please. Eric is a man from um, Cameroon that Kathy and I got to meet in Moscow a number of years ago. And Eric, um, by <laughs> if you want to hear an interesting story, talk to him <laughs> sometime this morning while you're still here together. Um, he has a fascinating story of how God brought him from Cameroon to Russia <laughs> in a roundabout way, ended up there, became a believer, heard the gospel, and then got attached with our church and became a disciple, learning, walking with Christ, and is continuing on in ministry now in northern Minnesota with his wife, Kristen, back there. Um, and um, fascinating story of what God did. But I want Eric to share with you a story that uh, just we just heard actually this morning about something that God, where God opened a door for Eric because of his sensitivity to the Holy Spirit and looking for opportunities to share the gospel. So, Eric, if you would do that. And can we switch this on? If I just. Yeah, I got to turn it on down here, don't I? I might need help here to... 
I'll just give it to you. I'll let you. It's red. I need to. And then I. Thank you. All right. There you go, Eric. Thank you. Well, I became a Christian in Moscow, Russia, 10 years ago. That was the first Sunday in February 2012. As a young Christian, I had to meet with Steve here. He sought me out, and we were studying a series every week at his place to help me to grow and, and get closer to God and know God more. So when I moved back to the, I moved to the United States in December 2013, I had the opportunity to work at a juvenile center. I was working with kids who had issues. They, are, they come from everywhere in the United States, some from New York or Chicago or Minneapolis. So I, I was a youth counselor. So these guys, each time I step in to start my shift, they will swear at me all the time. The young, this particular young man would tell me, Eric, go back to Africa. <laughs> and, I, and I tell him, yes, I'm going back next year. So yeah. it was a juvenile center, and we have also a high school there. So he was there for like eight months, and he, it was time for him to go back home. He was like a 15, young man around 15 years old. So usually I was working night shift, and I do their laundry every night. I did his laundry, and he didn't sleep all night because he was excited to go back home to see his, his family. Then he said to me, can I ask you a question? And I said, yes, go ahead. He, he said, why are you never upset? Why are you always happy? And I remember going to Moscow. I was in a dark place until I received Christ, and I received that peace and joy and happiness. And since then, my life has turned around. My life ha hasn't been the same. So and I look at that young man, and I told him, because I have Jesus in me. So I'm always happy because he says we should rejoice always and pray without ceasing because this is the life that he wants for us mm. in, in Christ Jesus. And since then, joy has always been my, my part, and I've always chosen to be happy. And I told him, uh, again, he was 15 years old, and I told him, please, when you go back, finish high school and go to college. Because they always have, they have, again, when they come there, they have the story about all the adults that they have been in their life that have made their life difficult and they have trust issues. So they always have reason not to finish school. So when I shared that story with him, and he started crying. And that's something I've never forgotten. And I shared this morning with, with Steve. And I haven't seen that young man since, but I prayed for him. And I, I believe things have turned around for him. Thank you, Eric. That's great. What a story. Yeah. So an example of looking for those opportunities where God is working in someone's heart. And that's where we want to go, especially. So praying for those open doors. Um, open hearts. Looking for where God is working, where he's working in their hearts, and who he is preparing. I wanted to share a story that happened to me um, Quite a long time ago, it's not a current story, so I wish I had, but this one is one that has impacted my life so greatly, I wanted to share it with you. While I was in college, I was learning some of these things, and I uh, went on a beach project for the whole summer, where we learned how to 
we were learning the Bible, we were learning evangelism on the beach, we were sharing the gospel with, with people who were on the beach, and I was just learning a lot. And during that time, I was preparing to go back to my engineering school for my fourth year, and I was preparing for ministry for during, because I was, we were doing a lot of ministry, Bible studies, and sharing the gospel with other students. And I remember that God impressed upon my heart, he's never done this quite the same since, but that I was going to meet someone. And it was going to be a very strategic meeting, very, um, something was going to happen, very special, and I should be aware and watching and looking for this person. I had no idea what I was expecting, but I was aware of there was something coming. So during, one, during the first week back on campus in the fall, I was at the mailbox, and there was someone there that I just happened to meet, a guy named Dick. And we struck up a conversation, and over the course of the next few minutes, I began to realize this person was really hungry to know God. He was searching. He was from a Catholic background. He had gone to all the priests and all the people he could think of and everybody else. He was so hungry. And yet he just hadn't found the gospel. He just, just didn't know the truth yet. He just, it just wasn't clicking for him. And so I sat down with him. I shared the gospel with him. And he trusted Christ with his whole heart, his whole life. And then he led, over the next couple of weeks, he led his, um, together, we, we led his two brothers, who one was in junior high, one was in high school, and a sister, and his mom, his dad, his neighbors, one of the priests in the diocese who didn't yet know Christ, and it just went on and on. It went all over through the junior high, through the high school, and it, it was some sort of like a revival. I've never seen anything quite like it before or since in that way, in my personal experience. But I just, it was so fun to watch. God had prepared him to, and prepared a whole bunch of hearts, and it was like a domino effect. And um, it was just so exciting. So I just wanted to share that with you because um, it just, transform my whole thinking about evangelism I began to understand in a very tangible way some of these things what God was doing in the way of preparing hearts so we need to prepare pray also for discernment so that's what Paul is saying here too that we should pray that we would know when to share how much to share and who to share with so we're just kind of always looking so praying that God would help us to know um, also, too, if we're trying to force it, sometimes we can force the gospel, and sometimes it just flows. It's like someone will ask a question like Eric just shared. You're just there, and all of a sudden, somebody just, the door opens, and you know it's open. That's when you want to talk, and you want to just pray that God will give you the right words. You maybe only have a minute or a half a minute, or just one sentence, or one word you're going to say, and it could just change a person's life to be part of that process of bringing them. Maybe you won't share the whole gospel, but it's part of what opens the door in their heart more. And so you become part of that chain that God is working there to bring them to himself. 
So praying for um, open doors and for discernment. And when we pray for this, God actually opens the doors. So then um, in the last part of your notes there, pursue is one of the things that we do. We're pursuing along with God the lost with the gospel. Luke 19.10, Jesus gave an example there. He said, for the Son of Man came um, to seek and to save the lost. So we're to be involved with him in that. And then Russell last week pointed us to, Roman, uh, to Matthew 28, where Jesus told the disciples, and it applies to us too, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So the first part of discipleship is sharing the gospel, bringing people to Christ, and then he continues to conform them to his image. John 17, 18, the Father, it says, sent Jesus. Jesus tells about this. He says, the Father sent me, and now I'm sending you. Um, and so he is sending us. So we're to pursue. The whole book of Acts is about that. We're to proclaim then as we are sent. Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 14 to 21 tells us that we are God's ambassadors. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Would you like to be an ambassador? Could you imagine yourself representing the United States in a place like Russia or Portugal to live in the ambassador's house and to represent another country to the people in that country? Yet we are citizens of heaven, another country, a supernatural country, and we are to represent him as an ambassador. Think of the high calling that we have. I don't know if that touches your heart, but it really does mine. And then Romans 10 clearly tells us that we are to proclaim the gospel. It says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But how shall they call upon him whom they have never heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach without being sent? And then it says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So, man. You know, we're to go, and then we're to send, kind of send each other, encourage each other, and not, and all over Lake Mills, and all over Wisconsin, and all over, you know, on and on to the ends of the earth. We're to be involved in that. So our responsibility in evangelism is to pray. You know, we, we're devoted to prayer. We pray for open doors and discernment. We're to pursue intentionally and compassionately, and then we're to proclaim the gospel clearly, boldly, and purely. So evangelism is the sovereign act of God that we participate in. It's his act. It's what he's doing. And we just get a chance to participate in it. So our job is to share the gospel God's job to save the sinners. And I, that kind of goes back to the question that Steve was asking, I think, really. And I'm sorry, we just, it just don't have enough time really to talk too much more about it. So I can 
talk a little bit more with you about that, Steve, after, but, or anybody who wants to ask a little more about it. Um, um, <clears throat> but just focusing on the main idea here is our responsibility is to proclaim the gospel. God's job is to save the sinners. And we don't have to worry about figure out all the specifics of it. There's so much of God's sovereignty that we really can't understand with our finite minds. Um, there are a lot of questions. I, I understand what you're saying, and probably everybody in this room has, you know, you wrestle with some of those things. That is um, understandable. But we're to share Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit, and then we leave the results up to God. We don't have to figure it all out. And that brings us to our homework. I want to remind you that Russell gave us an assignment on our homework. It's kind of going to be ongoing through this whole series and after. But that you would have three people. I hope by now you've had kind of three people at least on your list of um, somebody that you uh, have on your heart that you want to share the gospel with that you can just start praying for and then looking for opportunities to share the gospel with them and um, be actively pursuing and looking and praying for open doors and open hearts um, that God would do his work and then that we can step into that uh, with him. So I hope this has been encouraging. I don't know it has been for me. Challenging and encouraging all at the same time. But uh, what a great privilege we have to um, be involved with God in this process of reaching the world with the gospel. Um, so let me just close us in prayer, and um, we'll just have our fellowship time. Father, we just thank you for the work that you are doing in the world around us, uh, in our world that's close to us here, just in our every one of us, our neighbors, where we work, where we live, our family, our friends, people we know. Every one of us has people all around us who desperately need the gospel message and the transformation that it brings. For, Lord, we are sobered by the reality that hell is very real and it, it, it is coming and it is appointed for men to die once, and after that comes judgment, and there is no second chance. And then comes the lake of fire, where people are thrown into this horrible place where it says it's burning with brimstone and fire. We don't like to think about it and talk about it, but it is a reality, and it's sobering. And Lord, we want to save people. Uh, along with you. You're the one who saves them, but we want to join in with you as you do this saving work. Our responsibility is to share the gospel. Would you please burden our hearts? Like Paul, you burden his heart. He says, the love of Christ constrains me. And so he shared the gospel. May we be like that. And may you open doors for us. May you make us sensitive to your Holy Spirit's leading and calling and like with Eric in that story, um, that we would be aware when you're working and there's an opportunity that we wouldn't hesitate and we wouldn't let fear stop us, but we would pray for boldness and just share. Because we love people, you've given us a love for them. So Lord, would you please use us, empower us, um, help us 
Help us against the thoughts the evil one puts there too. And uh, thank you for your Holy Spirit giving us the ability to do what you want us to do. And that we might be pleasing to you and honor and glorify you and have joy. What a joy to be in sharing in your work. So thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. We praise you. We look forward to the rest of the morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you are dismissed.